Tonight, we're very lucky to be joined by the one and only Judah Nagler. He is the front man and songwriter for The Velvet Teen and has a long history in this building, the Phoenix Theater, with a number of other projects. We're smoking cigars tonight, and the reason we're doing that is to celebrate the good news that uh, apparently Judah and the boys in The Velvet Teen are back in the studio and working on a new album. Holy cow. That is definitely cigar worthy, I think. Well, welcome, Judah. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. There's a story that I love about you that you shared with me, and if we could talk about it, I'd love it. And it has to do with your first show as the Velvet Teen, but when the Velvet Teen was something completely different than it is now. And you went to Iceland, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, just a solo, a couple solo shows uh, that I did. Uh, that was, it was the first performances under the name Velvet Teen. And this was a crazy week, right? Because you went to a country you'd never been before, and you uh, got a tattoo. You uh, saw Bjork in her home state. I did. Yes. I did, yeah. Uh, she was doing an acapella performance with a youth choir uh, at a restaurant. I went to see her because uh, I had a little money saved up at the time, and it was the millennial New Year, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going. <laughs> so... Uh, Got tickets, got a hotel lined up, and was like, well, while I'm over there, I might as well uh, set up a couple shows. And it was back in the mp3.com days, so I hit up people from Reykjavik and, you know, just kind of put the word out and tried to find somebody who would help me, you know, help facilitate that kind of thing happening. And ended up finding a a guy named, uh, I think his name was Yoni, who let me borrow some of his gear and uh, let me borrow his guitar and was kind of my, like, not guide around, but just a friend, you know, uh, to kind of show me around. Your Icelandic <clears throat> mentor. Indeed. <laughs> and you're, you're like 20, 21 at the time, right? I was 19. 19? Yeah. So that's crazy, because you had never done anything like that before. No. Yeah, and it was all because of Bjork. It was all because of Bjork and uh, my obsession with Bjork at the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> at the time. Was that like a defining moment in your life, that thing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean, I just went over there to basically see her performance, and uh, yeah, then a number of just crazy things happened that week. It was probably the cra- one of the craziest times of my life. One thing we talked about, and this is a recurring theme on here, is uh, defining success. Sure. Uh, artists, I think, a lot of the time have to redefine success as they go on because they go into uh, an area and they're like, okay, I would like to accomplish this, this, and this. And then they spend their life doing the thing that they love, but they don't accomplish this, this, and this. So they revise their goals and stuff. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, uh, very much so like in, especially like when I was getting into music and stuff, I was, um, or just younger in general, um, a lot of my approach had to do with, you know, what is the result going to be or, you know, having a goal. And I think having goals is, can be really healthy. For example, the first time I came to the Phoenix, you know, uh, was an invalids show and I was just blown away oh, by the awful lot of fun, blown away by the, the room and the, the experience of the whole thing. And I was just like, someday I'm going to do that. And, uh, do you remember what year that was? <clears throat> uh, it was probably like 96, 95, 96. Yeah. Yeah. And was Tin Circus going at that point? Not yet. No. Okay. 
And uh, so, you know, having goals and wanting to do things, I think, is, is great. Um, but yeah. I think getting obsessed with the end result rather than the process itself can be detrimental and takes away a lot from the creative process. Because, I, I don't know, giving up a lot of the control, I think, of uh, having an end result in mind can actually allow a space for the actual creative process to happen. And yeah. you end up with something that you didn't expect but you end up with something different and that in itself is, is kind of a great thing. Yeah. Great. Or it can be (laughs) sometimes it's not, but I don't know. I, I, I like part of the surprise of working on things creatively, you know, cause I, I, barely ever if ever have anything that I work on these days that turns out exactly the way that you know my original thought was about it and a lot in a lot of times I don't have you know I try to not have that thought in the first place of where things are going to go you know maybe a maybe a general kind of ambiguous kind of place that things may end up you know or something that I'm reaching for some little idea that I'm trying to introduce or some tool to use you know along the way but for at least my own process it's healthier to have um be open to the unknown, you know? Well, and that's exactly it. So I was, I'm doing some vocal stuff with this kid who's just an, an incredibly uh, talented young kid. And he's, uh, boy, he's about eight years old and he's got a voice and he's got, uh, he, his pitches is perfect at this age. His timing is great. He's a great little singer. So we're working on songs and... You and an uh, eight-year-old right now. He's in, Yeah, that was uh, today's Wednesday. So it was, it was that, it was his lesson day today. And I was telling about my songwriting process and uh, we were working on a song that he's singing in and it was in F. Uh, F was the, the one chord in, in that tune. I said, you know, I don't think I've ever written a song in F. So I shall write a song in F and I'll have one together in two weeks. And, uh, he, and he asked today, do you have that song written? Yes, I do, <laughs> but I can't sing it to you. Uh, the song that I ended up writing was based on a tag that ended up on our uh, skateboard ramp, FTW, which is Fuck the World. And it turned out entirely different than what I'd expected, and in, indeed it is a song that I can't play for him. I told him I would play it for him when he's probably in high school. And that's actually, um, you know, because a lot of the songs that when I'm writing with, with Chomp Hart in the old days, and, and even now, because Lance wants to start writing again, uh, he will usually come up with the instrumental pieces, and I'll throw the lyrics in. And uh, it's uh, quite often it never turns out like either of us had started it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think you find that in, in, in your songwriting quite a bit. Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think having like a limitation, like you mentioned, of uh, especially something that's uh, unfamiliar, like I've never written a song in F or... Yeah, right. Uh, th- those kinds of things uh, that give you that kind of beginner's mind again you know where you're getting out of familiar territory and doing something where you feel a bit um disoriented i think is is great for that yeah because it, it makes you do things that you're, aren't part of your habitual patterns you know it's like i've i've gotten into patterns you know in my own uh process where i'll be writing the same chord progression over and over and over again it's like okay do something different you know and I've had success in in doing things uh, where I felt that kind of disorientation like play play a left-handed guitar with your right hand or you know uh, you know try to learn piano or (laughs) whatever you know like uh, anything that's like I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm pro- you know probably probably turns well. into something new. Okay, so going into new territories can be creatively energizing. Do you find that there is a link between the anxiety you have about failing at something new and how good the product can turn out? Because I find if I'm going into a project and I'm just feeling totally at ease, like yeah, this will be no problem, whatever. 
the work is not as good as if I feel this pressure inside of me to like, okay, you know, are you going to be able to do this? I don't know. You better do the preparation needed. Well, I think uh, for myself, like uh, the more times that I've done something, the you know, and more familiar it is, the easier it is to be confident about that. Like, uh, you know, I've done this before. I know basically what I'm doing, but that I think there's always a newness to it because, you know, every time you do something, it's a new time you're doing it, you know? And so there's always, um, for myself, not necessarily an anxiety, but kind of an, oh shit, how is this going to turn out kind of thing. (laughs) But I mean, a lot of that lately for me is, is up to my own critique. I think, you know, um, I used to be really obsessed with what other people thought about it. And, you know, that still comes into play. Absolutely. There's no getting away from it at a certain point. But it means like I'm looking for personally like less validation from other people in that way. I'm getting really personal here. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But not to say that, you know, other people's opinions don't affect me, but more just that, uh, I don't know, because I've had more time with it in my own process, I, I, know basically my own faults I know my own shortcomings I know what I'm working with to you know some degree and I don't know like I think I was telling you in one of our earlier conversations about uh like the come loud release where we got two uh different reviews of the album this um, is a great little story because basically we we had we had this release party in San Francisco and before we we uh uh got up to play I think it was during soundcheck or something one of the promoters came up and was like Hey, you got written up in two different periodicals. Uh, we made copies for you. Here you are. And one of them said, while their last album was really boring and slow and, you know, really not that great, they've finally found, you know, their place. They're doing what they need to do, and this is really exciting stuff. And the other one said, while their last album, they seemed to know what they were doing, and it was really exciting. Uh, this one uh, is really off the wall, really boring, and I don't know what they're doing. So it was kind of like both ends of the spectrum for you, you know, and does it have any bearing whatsoever on the thing itself? No, it doesn't. So I don't know, that that was kind of key for me in starting to let go of that, because you're never going to, you know, please everybody. There's always going to be people that like and don't like what you do. Yeah. That shouldn't affect the doing it itself. Well, especially if it's less about the finished product and more about, you know, the the process of writing something good. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And like, I mean, I, I generally only consider it uh, good or bad, you know, while I'm working on it. I, I can't really listen to my own stuff after we're done with it. I listen to it a lot while we're working on it because it's, you know, fresh and that's what we're doing. I don't know. I have very little interest listening to stuff after the fact. You know, I go back to it once in a while to be like, oh, yeah, that was that was a cool little moment or... Oh yeah, that's, that part still bugs me. I wish we'd fixed that, but you know, <laughs> well, that's a, you, have, why, yeah. you have the I same. Listen, you have the yeah. same thing, right? I won't listen to, to any of the, any of the stuff we've done after it's done. Um, in fact, boy, Chomp Hard, we used to just work. We we did a, a few CDs, and we worked so hard in those things, and they were, boy, it was such a tumultuous process to do that. And by the time we were done putting them together, I didn't even want to go out and tour with the stuff or play the stuff anymore. I was burnt on it. But then when you get back into a playing mode and, and you do find yourself playing it again, it, it comes back to life for you. But still, uh, I prefer, uh, at least when I'm playing music and being a part of it, letting the moment happen and then leaving it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. It's really tough for me to listen to myself ever again. Mm-hmm. I just prefer believing that that moment on stage was as hot as it felt to me. You know, at the time, it was great for me. But if you do go back and listen, you go, wow, you just, you know, you'll find, gosh, I wish I, 
guy, how about that? I th- thought I'd done it differently than that. Yeah, and the <laughs> things that are coming into your head at that point aren't, you know, other people's opinions of it. It's generally yeah. like, oh, yeah, I remember not liking it then, and I still yeah. don't like it now. <laughs> I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'd rather just be uh, happy with my memories. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess that's a pessimistic way to put it. You know, there are things <laughs> that you look back and like, yeah, that's still good. That's still good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then for both of you, do you feel that there's more things that you look back on and say, yeah, that's still good, or more things that you look back on and say... I've learned more. I can do better than that now. I find that I like uh, a lot of the old stuff I wrote. I actually love playing nowadays. Yeah. I haven't played them in years and years and, and had gotten burned out on it. But then all of a sudden, uh, you bring them back and they actually mean something entirely different. Uh, and, there, and there again, the process itself was glorious. And what you thought it meant at the time you finished it is entirely different from what it is 10 years later. It rings with a new truth or a new idea and, and uh, seems to work differently with what you're going through now. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the beauty about lyrics and any kind of art form, I think. It's only half what you put into it. The, the other half of it is what people get from it. And as you said in an interview in The Bohemian, Judah Nagler, uh, you were described as enigmatic. This is the line that ends the interview. That You, you <laughs> always try to be intentionally kind of vague. Uh, you try to put in as much as you leave out. I like leaving things intentionally open a bit. But also, I mean, there's also a very personal aspect to whatever I'm writing, too, you know. Um, and there's also, I, I don't know, it's almost like a form of divination for me, like uh, uh, like tarot cards or, or yarrow sticks, if you will. But um, <laughs> uh, tea leaves. Um, so Ouija it, boards. I mean, <laughs> Ouija boards, exactly. Which we don't allow at the Phoenix, <laughs> <Yeah>. by the way. <laughs> But it, it, it's like you were saying, like, you know, you listen to something later and, and you get something different out of it yourself yeah. because you were a different person when you when, yes. when you were putting something into it. And that happens in my own experience of the things that I remember having a hand in to a degree, like even my own writing, like I'll, I'll write something with a certain intention in mind. It'll change into whatever it is. It'll be, uh, you know, vague enough or explicit enough for somebody to create their own meaning from it and you know I get to be that you know at a certain point too like I've had I've written songs that I thought were about one thing before and then I'll listen to them later and be like oh wow I'm totally writing about masturbation or whatever (laughs) I had no idea I I wonder who else got that (laughs) well in the Venn diagram of life masturbation does have a lot of overlap with a lot of things it is uh, a universal language absolutely (laughs) yes it's like math and music so on on the same point of being too on the nose. Uh, everybody here has experienced some major trauma in their life, deaths, uh, heartaches, and, and things of that nature. It's interesting because it fuels great art, but if you create the art too soon, it can be way too on the nose and actually be horrible art. Have you experienced that at all? I can never do that. I, I can never write if I'm feeling like bummed out. It never works for me. You know, Maybe I'll play something for a little bit, but I uh, usually if I'm depressed or something, I'm just depressed and I'm not doing shit. That's interesting because uh, yeah. a lot of people will see somebody go through a hard breakup or lose someone and they'll be like, well, that's yeah. sad he's going through that, but man, what an album he's going to write. That isn't to say that I haven't drawn from those kinds of experiences, just just not while, the, while I'm in them. It yeah. doesn't work yeah. for me. Probably wise, as a matter of fact. Like I say, I think I've got a whole. I've probably got pages and pages of stuff that, yeah, I'd written in those moments, and just and then, yeah, you wake up to it the next day and realize, well, that was kind of whiny. Yeah. Wow. So, circling back, do you consider the time spent in Velveteen as a success so far? Uh, yeah, of course. I've enjoyed. Can't say every minute of it, but I've, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't regret much uh, or think about things that way 
these days. I mean, everything's gotten me to where I am now, and, you know, uh, I'm happy with where things are now. It has touched a lot of people. The lyrics that you've written have touched a lot of people. Yeah. It's sort of served as, in some ways, for people that I know, like soundtracks to moments in parts of their lives. So in that way, I mean, how can that not be considered successful? Wasn't there a chance for you guys to sign like a major label thing or something or sign a contract or something? Uh, a long time ago. We were, I mean, we never got to the contract stages, but we were doing showcases for a lot of big labels and stuff back around 2001. Did you guys not have a tune on an MTV show for a while, as I recall? A reality show or something, wasn't there? Yeah, I think I think we've got a song in, uh, uh, what's the teen pregnancy show? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's correct, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and of course... <laughs> it was poignant, though. I saw it. It, so, was, it worked really well. The or, pinnacle of my career. Well, actually, I think the pinnacle of your career might be, and you're probably familiar with this, that in 2005, well, career. in 2005, uh, in, the, in the issue of L Girl magazine, oh, yeah, God. you were voted as one of the 50 hottest rockers. <laughs> there you have it. You should be able to take that microphone one to the bank. drop. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was weird. I, I had no idea that thing was happening when it happened. I, <clears throat> uh, my friend Ezra, who was doing slow dance records, uh, who was putting out our records at the time, uh, told me preemptively that we had uh, an article coming out or some review, and that's all I heard about it. So I went to, he was like, yeah, and it's an L girl. So I went to the you know grocery store or whatever and looked at it, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. So going back then, um, when you were doing the showcases and all that, was that appealing to you, or was it? did it start as appealing and, and become unappealing it was appealing just in the potentials of it because you know we were a new band we were wanting you know people to hear us so it was it was exciting to be playing for a lot of big labels and whatnot but at the same time like i've always had a definite wariness about getting into that whole scene as has josh and whatnot um so we were kind of like eh, this is really awkward i mean and there were some really awkward showcases too some some of them were cool and felt like a show some of them were very strange played one showcase at the at the whiskey in la which was which was really fun it was awesome and there was a, a bunch of people that showed up and it's a small club so you don't have to bring that many people yeah. it wasn't like people showed up for a show it was a showcase that yeah. people were invited the weirdest one for me was uh we played a showcase in Cheryl Crow's practice space, which was literally this room the size of a basketball, you wow. know, high school basketball gym, basically. Um, that was her practice space. <clears throat> yeah, it was huge. Beautiful room. And, uh, and on one end of it, on one side of the court, was, uh, <laughs> was us. No stage, no nothing. It was all just like carpeted, plain-looking room, but huge. And us playing on one side of the room, and then this couch... On the absolute other side of the room, where there was a couple people like talking on cell phones and kind of wandering aimlessly about in suits, you know, hundreds of feet between us. So here we are trying to like perform what we do and, you know, emote, you know, <laughs> in any regard. And uh, it was just impossible. It felt really awkward. Ultimately, that, that was not a thing that you guys ended up doing. We decided at least not to do it at that time. Then we got we ended up talking to Slow Dance and thinking that that was a much better fit for us uh, then, and you know established a good relationship with him, and that that worked out fine for us. You know there was 
There was, of course, part of me after the fact that had a little bit of buyer's remorse being like, oh, wow, we could have been huge. Uh, you know, there's there's no guarantee of that. And, and the labels that were showing interest, you know, I think some of them have folded since then. And there's no way of knowing how things would have turned out. Um, although, I don't know, I, I'm happy for the way that things did turn out. We still own the rights to all our music. We, uh, you know, I, I, I think it would have been a dangerous time for me personally because, you know, I had a lot of chaos my own demons to wrestle with you know 2001 i was 21 you know had about 10 years of kind of craziness and i think if i had been personally you know in any kind of spotlight um it could have been a really dangerous thing for me i don't know so a word on the you know momentary at one time in your life buyer's remorse right thinking (laughs) like what could have happened what couldn't happen I mean, you've had things you could have done over the last 15 years. Like, didn't Foster the People, before they were what they were now, they invited you to they, play with them? Yeah, they. Uh, Mark invited me to be part of their, their live band. And I was still trying to get the Velveteen stuff kind of uh, happening again. We, I mean, we've never had a time where we haven't been touring to some extent. Uh, so we've always been active to a degree, but I was really trying to get, thing, get our legs back under us. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, declined in... He was. He told me straight up. He was like, "Yeah, it's going to be huge, man." I was like, "Cool." Do you think you'd be satisfied doing something like that as somebody who's always written the material, um, at least oh. for the last fifteen years of your mm-hmm. life? If you were making enough money playing somebody else's music, would you be satisfied? It's hard to say. Um, I mean, I, I really love working with other people. I think, uh, and and I actually really like the role of supporting somebody else's vision um, creatively. Like, I, I, I that kind of takes a lot of the pressure off for me, and kind of opens things up a little bit for me in a way that I don't necessarily have working on my own stuff. You know, I I, I know we wouldn't have Velveteen wouldn't have a record coming out now. You know, if if I had gone that route, so things are as they are. Velveteen is like indie rock when it comes to Sonoma County, not even considering like the, the larger country. I mean, as far as like the people that I know that live in this area that are music fans, I, I said this earlier, but I, I truly mean it. The, the music has served as a soundtrack to emotional highs and lows that they had growing up in this yep. area. And uh, I think that those people, uh, and I know a lot of them, will follow your music uh, yeah. and go to your shows, even if you didn't put another album out for 25 years. Uh, that's the emotional connection that I see people have yeah. with your music. So it's an incredible thing, and I think it's a lot to be proud of. I agree. So. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's how it's been for me, you know, uh, growing up around here, listening to local bands around here. You know, I've, I've been influenced by all kinds of bands that have played here and played, played around uh, that have been a soundtrack to my life as well, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it's a scene and, a, you know, a thing that I've, you know, before I was doing it, wanted to be a part of and have been really grateful to be a part of. We all kind of pass the torch to each other, you know, hand it off and whatnot. Not that there's any end goal in sight or any right. kind of this is the pinnacle kind of thing. It's just great to just great to do it, you know, and I've been influenced by all kinds of people around here, you know. And I think that in uh, in your way, I think that you, you are at the top of that. Absolutely. So thank you for doing this with us today. Thank you, Judah. Can't thank you guys enough. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Cool. And Jim, you know what? Thanks for the cigars, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you guys should all know that we smoked during this interview, <laughs> and it did. may perhaps be the dawn of a new era for on stage with Jim and Tom. <laughs> if we're sounding just a little smoky tonight, far out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Judah. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jim. Good night to everyone listening. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> there you go. 